Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst, and thank you for listening today. I want to encourage you to subscribe to this if you haven't done so already. And we're going to keep coming at you with some great content. We always have our sermons every week. And this week is the last week of Table Talk Thursday, at least for a little while. Uh, We are going to be focusing our energy on some other things. We're reopening this Sunday, September 6th. And so we're putting our attention toward that and making sure that we're all good to go uh, to welcome all of you fine people back into our building. One of the other things that uh, us pastors, me and Pastor Daniel and Pastor Nathan are working on is something called position papers. And then once we're done with our first one, we hope to come to you with another episode of Table Talk Thursday. And then obviously that would be available on the podcast. I want to encourage you uh, to consider giving to Life Church if this is maybe the first time that you're here in this podcast, or maybe you've heard it a few times, um, but you're you're really being impacted by the content. Uh, I want to let you know that your gifts to Life Church really make a difference in the lives of people. And we got to see this that this last week at our New Life Sunday where we baptize people. It was a powerful, powerful thing. Uh, but for now. Uh, Go ahead and enjoy today's episode of Table Talk Thursday. Welcome, everybody, to Facebook Live Table Talk Thursday, the finale, if you will. Um, We are excited to be with you. Um, I'm here with Pastor Nathan, Pastor Jared, and myself, Daniel. And uh, we are going to have some great conversations today. Um, So if you are here with us live on Facebook, you can put in some questions. We'll answer those questions. If you're listening on the podcast later on, you can't retro those questions, but you can surely still connect with us and we'd love to hear from you. All right. Well, how are you brothers doing today? Well, I'm doing okay. Uh, For some reason, I was running four miles and realized I wanted to do a, a burpee challenge. So on the way back from my four-mile run, I was like, well, it's September 1st. I'm going to start that. So that's 3,000 burpees in one month, which is 100 burpees a day, but it's 100 uh, timed burpees. I mean, you got to do it in one, one section of time, which makes it uh, about 10 times worse, uh, way worse. Um, but I've done this multiple times. I've done a 90-day one which was terrible, but I just posted on it and people are joining me. Uh, Jared's joining me with his wife. They're doing 50, um, which is fantastic. I think that's great. There are other people doing 25. Some people are jumping on that hundred train and, and just sharing it with people, sharing a little bit of what's on my heart. Uh, people are like, well, I really like that you're posting um, after, you know, some thoughts, you know, some thoughts about God and things. And they're like, when do you write that? I said, I write that when I'm dying after doing a hundred burpees, I'm laying on my back, writing that thinking about this is a terrible decision. Why do I do this? Uh, and, uh, try to, I feel like in that moment of, of pain and torture, I'm having this moment of connection with the Holy spirit, you know, like <laughs> so it, that's what I'm sharing, but it's fun. I'm doing it on Facebook. If you want to join in, go for it. We're probably going to do a big one at the very end, maybe September. 30th all get together outside and and do 100 burpees together and and hope that nobody grows up well i'm doing good yeah i don't know what the big deal is all about about burping 100 times i I do that after a nice (laughs) glass of coke or something so whatever brother whatever floats your boat um if that's exciting to you guys that's great 
Uh, but no, I said it's super exciting. But technically, Pastor Jared and uh, wife did 100 because they're one unit, brother. Don't try to split yeah, them apart. That's, so I don't know what he's doing over there. But um, yeah, it is that's what it is. pastor math right there. Yeah, right there. Yeah. <laughs> Biblical uh, math, brother. <laughs> Biblical yeah. math. And, uh, but how are you? I'm doing okay. Um, you're you're a full fledged dad because that was a dad joke, you know, to, to it? talk is about burpees in that way. Yeah, that was that was quintessential oh, wow. dad joke right there. And Nathan, you're uh, you had asked earlier, your microphone is doing that little clicking noise um, when you were talking. So sorry, I just wanted to let you know that I'm doing okay. Uh, we yeah, we tried the burpees thing. Uh, it's like chest pains after that. I'm, I feel old. I don't know what's going on with that, but um, yeah, we we had some exciting time together for those that were able to come out for New Life Sunday last Sunday. That was a lot of fun. Um, and then we're getting back together in person this weekend, and we recognize people are all over the place in terms of how they feel and their comfort level of coming. We totally, totally get that. But for those that are going to decide to to show up in our building this weekend. Um, Hope that that's going to be a great experience. And then um, I think as far as Table Talk Thursday, I know I know you mentioned this is the the last one, and um, obviously we'll we'll find other ways to produce content. But I think this Absolutely. served a, a purpose for a season, and it's been fun to be part of this. Um, obviously, we've said some things about our position papers. We're going to be working on some of those things so we can have some clear dialogue with our church about um, about things that people just have questions about. Um, so there's always going to be a platform for people to have dialogue and we want to continue to create that. It just might not always look the same, but, um, other than that, doing, doing pretty good. Sweet. Sweet. How about you? Oh, on our end, we are doing okay. Um, I am dreading, um, winter, um, like the, the cliche <laughs> winter is coming has never evoked so much fear as it does right now. So, but I am praying, um, that the Lord will keep us through, through this winter that's coming but we are doing well um this weekend was just um great man it was great uh like life church southfield had a great event on saturday they used our pavilion and it yeah was, they did it was just uh catnip for me man it was just super good that's yeah. such a that's such a non-black thing to say <laughs> it was catnip but it was <laughs> it was i don't know it was dog food for me i don't know whatever yeah, was- um I just saw you on the ground with your arms in the air doing this, and I I can't get the image of you acting like a cat rolling around. I think I'm gonna be distracted. I'm honestly, brother, I think I felt that way on Saturday, man. Just the music, and um, so the music was feeding my soul, um, and 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 just the camaraderie, the conversation. You and I connected out there, uh, a few and a few other people. So that was good for my soul. And then Sunday, I think, fed my spirit. Um, Sunday was just us coming together for the first time, really, for service. And what a wonderful thought to have bookended those things as we've done. Um, and I know that was your your sort of hope, um, Pastor Nathan, to have those things bookended that way. We end. We started COVID with new life. We end in, uh, hopefully, or at least transition into the end of COVID with uh, new life. So that was just a joy to see the people get baptized, to see stories, to see that those stories happen not pre-COVID, but even in the midst of COVID, right? Um, so I don't want to steal the thunder, but, you know, a young man gave his life to God and men's ministry, which happened during COVID at the men's breakfast. You've got people who are connected from out of space, out of, space, out of state. Um, I, we might, hey, hey, <laughs> nanu, nanu, yeah. nanu, nanu, baby, nanu, nanu. It's a different um, kind of illegal alien. It's a different, it is. <laughs> 
good job. But the Bible says take care of them too. Um, so, um, so yeah, so I, we're doing well, man. It was just sweet. And I am looking forward to Sunday. If you're hearing this on the podcast, you're on Facebook, you're a member or not a member or partner or attender, whatever you are, we are inviting you to come on down um, to just watch with us, connect with us. Man, it's going to be a great time, sweet time this Sunday. Um, just being in community alone. Um, it's just going to be a blessing. So bless God. And um, yeah, I'm super happy, happy to be here, happy to be having this conversation. So cool. Well, let's look at the questions we may have live. Nothing yet. Okay, cool. And then let's talk about what we have here. So this is an all play. So the question is, is the coronavirus God's judgment on the world? We won't necessarily say just on America, but on the world, since this is a pandemic. Um, and, you know, we've, we've all heard all kinds of thoughts from different pastors and ministers who've said certain things that have been interesting, to say the least. But what do you brothers think about that? Is this God's judgment on the world? You want me to go first? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you, yes, but not the way you may think it be. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so keep that. Put a pin in that. Let's just do a quick yes. A quick yes or no, no and then we'll we'll unpack. No, we'll unpack. Okay. Oh no, no, okay. we're not. Oh no, we we're not gonna. Yes, not unpack. with caveats. Okay. I like that. Yeah, I like that hanging though. Don't. It's a hanging Chad, brother. Don't, 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 don't. I like that. So, Pastor Jared, what do you think? Yes, no, maybe, sometimes, frequently. Um, it's definitely complicated. I think. Um, I I I lean towards no. Um, I think, um, I I'm trying to figure out where, where the motivation is behind asking the question. Um, mm. not, not that I'm saying it's a, it's a bad motivation. I'm just trying to figure out, um, how, how does this person, whoever asked it define judgment and, um, how do they understand judgment in the whole narrative of scripture? Because I think based on my years of experience of being a pastor and having conversations with people about judgment is it typically looks like um, how judgment is manifested primarily in the old Testament and even more specifically, primarily in the Exodus and the plagues um, that are sent to Egypt. And so um, I think we take a modern context or sorry, we take that context and project it onto a modern context. Um, and we do the same thing with, you know, hurricanes and, um, and tsunamis and, and different, you know, natural disasters as well as that are all of those things, you know, God's judgment. And um, I, I think it's just, it's bigger than that. I think uh, these are all symptoms of a bigger problem um, that we call sin, the brokenness, the fractured world um, that we live in. There's going to be, uh, a natural outpouring of more brokenness to show something greater. I think the question, did God manufacture this? Did God, you know, I think sometimes people think of God in like a little laboratory thinking up things, ways that he can um, do things to humanity and do things to the world in order to get us uh, to pay attention to whatever it might be, to pay attention to him, to worship him. And I just don't 
for me and my, my reading of the scriptures and, and my understanding of the way in which Jesus interacts with humanity, it just doesn't compute for me um, that that's how God is, uh, is working. I, and then also, you know, so talked a little bit about the Old Testament. In the New Testament, people will go to Romans and they'll say, you know, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to a purpose or according to his purpose. Um, he causes things to work together. Does he cause those things is, is the question that has to be addressed as well. So, um, and then I'll say, I'll say one more thing too. Uh, let's talk about Jesus. Um, one of the most famous verses that we read is John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Um, the very next verse though, is that he did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so if that's the narrative of God's heart in and through Jesus, it, it would be hard for me to argue that God has caused this um, as a means of his judgment to the world. So there's, there's more that has to be unpacked, but I want to start the dialogue there. Yeah, that is, I think we're going to have a good conversation today, okay. brethren. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, so um, I think quickly for me, uh, the question is, uh, is coronavirus God's judgment? Yes or no? Um, and I think I'm, I'm and then I'll, we'll unpack that, but I want to give Pastor Nathan an opportunity to unpack because you just unpacked did you, it. At, did you, yeah, did you say yes or no, Dave? I said yes and no. He said yes and no, and I, I can I said see yes where he's going. And no. Yeah, yeah, I said yes and no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is yes, going to be fun. And it wasn't yes, it wasn't no, it was yes and no. That's not answering the question. No, I that's I, I asked the question that is it. You asked the question and didn't give us three options. You gave us two options and then you took the third way. No. That's mean. It's mean. It's mean as okay. what that is. Okay. Right? So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, the, that's the question. Let me unpick, so, yeah. is yeah, it or yeah, is I'll, it not I'll, God's I'll, judgment? I'll, yes. Yes, yes, it's God's judgment uh, because God is just and right and good. And so when we have chosen our own way, sin entered into the world um, and sin entered into every single part of everything and ruined everything. Um, and God is in the process of redeeming that through his church and eventually through his return and, and removing the effects of sin um, for good. So is this judgment from a righteous and holy God. Yeah, this is the consequence. Another way of judgment is consequence, the consequence of our own brokenness and our, ch our choosing to do that. I want to point out a couple things. Uh, well, first, I would say this. What sin does is take something that's good and makes it into something that is terrible and bad and destructive. Cancer, I use this as one of the, the, the greatest examples of what sin does because cancer takes the natural functions of your body to reproduce, hijacks them and does it in a way that can choke organs or cause things to fail. Cancer in itself is almost exactly like sin and, and viruses are very similar in that they take over uh, a cell and they make it reproduce something until often the cell actually bursts um, from the, the process. So all these things, yes, this is the, the judgment that has been brought on us because we have chosen something other than God. 
But COVID isn't just about a virus. It's not just about a virus. It's about our response to the virus. And I don't want to jump into politics here because that's not my point. My point is our response to this virus has at times been extremely driven by fear, extremely unloving, uncaring, extremely focused on the self and self-preservation and not on the community. And you could take everything I just said and either sides of the aisle can apply that to how they see the other side is moving. My point in this is the reason why this pandemic is as bad as it is or has been as detrimental, talking about the mental health issues, the the, the substance abuse issues, you want to name this? These are all the consequences of us not relying on God. So yes, is it the judgment of God? All brokenness and sin in our world is a consequence of us stepping out of righteousness and into sin. And without Jesus Christ, without his ability to come and help us choose otherwise, that would be our end. Our end would be this forever until we die. But because of Jesus, he's in the process of bringing his kingdom more and more in place. I would agree the idea that, um, I also, Jared, you said, the idea that God is sitting in a room contemplating ways to cause people to be afraid so that we return to him is not something I think of when I think of God. I would agree with that. But I also think that God is timeless, meaning we think that, that he's just waiting to see what happens and then he responds when in reality, in my understanding, he lives in all of time at the same time. He's, he's, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient, but he's also like timeless. Meaning we have, we have to say, has God rested this judgment on us? Sometimes in my opinion, infers that, that God is, is traveling along this timeline the same way that we are. And I know that's a side comment, um, but I just don't see, God doesn't travel along our timeline in the same way that we as humans do. And so to, to say, okay, judgment infers we did something, which means he responded to us, which it, 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 that it's into some weird realms for me because God sees the end. He already sees the end, the end of your life, but also the end of all of this. He's already declared victory. And so he, he knows what's going to happen. And, and so it's, a, it's an interesting concept, but we won't go down that road too, too far. Today. Oh, good. Looks like we also have some follow-up questions. And one of the brothers asked, what's the question we're answering? <clears throat> the question we're answering is, uh, is coronavirus God's judgment on the world? So um, I actually, um, I know you just said you, like you're going on a different topic, Pastor Nathan, but I don't think you are. Uh, I think there's two ways you handle to handle theology. Um, and I sort of borrowed this from Augustine, right? He says there's a theology from above, and then there's the theology from below, right? And what he means by that is that there's a theology that starts with human beings and then starts to try to understand God from a human anthropomorphic perspective, right? From the perspective of human beings. Usually that's what we tend to do sometimes in life, right? We, we look at our situations and then we try to say, well, what does this say about who God is and whatever? Then there's a theology from above, which starts with God. God begins to be the standard, the canon, um, the ruler. He is the one that defines good, bad, evil, right, wrong. He does that. So I think whenever we talk about these topic of, essentially, this is a, a, a question of theodicy, right? Is God just? Uh, because when we start to talk about judgment, we do move into the justice of God. And I agree with Pastor Jared that 
there is always a question behind a question. Every question has an assumption. If someone says, is this God's judgment, then we have to unpack what they mean by judgment. And, and honestly, in this day and age, we have to unpack what they mean by God, <laughs> right? And, and so, so I think theology from above is the best way to stand. And so this is sort of beyond practical. Let me just move a little bit elative if I can to principle. My principle, as I look at God, is, and it was great, we talked last week about the, the attributes of God, right? Uh, one of my favorites is his, his aseity, right? He's self-existent, which means all of who is it, he is, all of what he will ever, quote unquote, need, because God doesn't need anything, is, is wrapped up within himself. He needs nothing outside of himself. Some could even argue and say, well, he would need to have community, ergo the Trinity, the intra-Trinitarian in love. God exists. God has always understood love because he's always been in community. Um, so all that is said. I say that to say my overarching principle when we start talking about things about God is the aseity of God. He is self-existent uh, and perhaps even the omniscience of God. He knows everything. And then the sovereignty of God. He's beyond anything. But even beyond that, I think the biggest thing, the sort of alien nature of God. What I mean by that is that he's altogether different than us. Like while he has bid us to be reflections of him, the reflection is not the same as the substance. God is infinitely above all and whatever we, in fact, the Bible says that even the things that God has done, we can't even understand, let alone the God who does them. So I say that to say, there's an old quote that I heard probably 10, 15 years ago. And it sits with me all the time when I'm talking about God. And it quote says, and I'm trying to remember perfectly, let us never assume that God does something because that thing is good, but that whatever God does, that is good. God is the standard of good. And so if God was to visit judgment and calamity on people, he has the right to do that. He's God. That's his prerogative. This is a big God theology. We cannot say that we've captured fully of what God is. Isaiah 45, I am the Lord. I don't change. I make good happen and I make evil happen. Wrestle with that for a second. That's God talking. I know the beginning from the end. I unravel it. Here's God talking to Cyrus. I anointed Cyrus, a secular, ungodly king. I anointed him and gave him mysteries of darkness. Oh, what are we talking about here? I think the mind of a human being trying to capture who God is will implode. So if you push God as this love, 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 love God, and you never talk about his justice, it's tantamount to idolatry because you're missing a, another attribute of God. If you push the justice of God, the holiness of God, and you never talk about the goodness of God and the love of God, you're also missing it. So I bring all that down to say this. In the garden, Genesis 3, God says, cursed is the ground, the Adamah, literally. So Adam, Adamah, see the connection? The ground from which I brought man, essentially the earth, right? There's two words that the Hebrews use for earth. It's usually Herod's uh, and Adamah. Adama speaks of the dirt, the ground, the tilling of the ground, but also in a bigger sense could mean the entire earth. So the earth is cursed. And then, you know, if you read that, I want to encourage you to read Genesis chapter three. You start to hear more and more about what those things are that curse the earth. So 
I think from that perspective, which is what I believe Pastor Nathan was saying, is there's sin entered into her and corrupted the world. And so the world has now gone its own way is what the Bible says. And so things are happening that ought not to be happening. Like there are places where they've experienced acid rain in, in the last couple of centuries. Oh, that, that's not normal, right? That's part of the curse of the world. Uh, we've experienced global warming, some will say. We're experiencing this, that, and the third. We're experiencing all these other issues. Yes, the world is in this sort of uh, deteriorative state. And as such, things will happen. And so beyond sort of answering the question even more specifically, let me see if I can give you some more principles that will help. When I think of evil and judgment and things of that, I think in three major categories. So I already start with God because whatever God does is good. He doesn't have a standard of good external to himself. He is the standard of good, which helps a lot of people to understand that whatever is happening in our lives we have to always try as much as possible to know that our perspective is limited. So when I think of evil, when I think of judgment, I think in three categories. I think of natural evil, which we just talked about. We are in a fallen world. It's naturally evil. Things are going to happen. This is what the world that we have entered into looks like. Then I think of moral evil. People are not perfect. People are imperfect. We will hurt each other. We will do things. We might be in a, in a lab creating a, 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 an antivirus and then end up creating an actual virus. Things like that has happened in the past. I'm not saying that's what's happening here. I'm just saying that, that has happened, right? People have created the I same person that created. <laughs> no, no, no. The, 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 you know what I mean? No, like I the know, same. Yeah. yeah, right. So, so people have created the internet. Wonderful, wonderful opportunity to have the internet. Also, for people with pornography addiction, not a great thing. Right. It's the best of times and the worst of times. There's moral evil. We will destroy anything that we put our hands on. So there's that. So there's there's natural evil. The world is just what it is. There's all kinds of antibacterial like they did a research a couple of years ago that looked at the depths of the sea and saw these microorganisms that could kill us like easily just by infecting us. So the world is naturally has some evil. Then there's moral human evil. Then I think there's supernatural evil. That's also a category we talked about a few months ago in, uh, you know, in Ephesians. There's also a category for supernatural evil. So all those categories help us to understand that there is an initial instance of a judgment on the earth, which is what Christ has come to redeem. First Corinthians chapter 15 talks about how Christ is redeeming that and removing the human race from under the judgment, the rightful judgment. And then so I think when you start to categorize it that way, in a true sense, yes, it's judgment. But in the specific sense, and I love Pastor Jared's analogy of God sitting there like a sort of uh, evil mind professor. I'm going to get you, my pretty, like whatever, you know, like like Smithers from Simpsons. Excellent. I'm going to give them a virus. Like that's not God. That's not what we see of God in the scriptures. But in the same sense, God's prerogative is that he can do whatever he wants to do. And he is beyond our judgment in the sense that he is the standard of what is right and wrong. That's a long way to answer my question, but that's why I said yes and no. I want to ask a real quick uh, follow-up um, based on what you said. Here's a question. If good is just defined as whatever God is and does, doesn't the phrase God is good reduce to a meaningless tautology? That's the question for you. I hope that, that what was that last three million dollar? What was that last three million dollar word? I put, well, let I put me see. It is it is it meaningless theology or is that what what was it? What does it say? 
It says tautology. I don't know if it's a word. I hadn't looked it up yet. But if it's that's, theology, that's a cute I word. think we're Wait a is minute. It, now. I'm going to Google that. I got to find out what that word yeah. is. Let me see. Tautology. I, I like learning. Fantastic. Tautology. Oh, it's the saying the same. Yeah, it's a real thing. Saying the same yes. thing twice in different words, gener- generally considered to be a, vault, a fault of style. Yeah. So in, in, in Greek, and uh, we would call that a, a hendiitis, right? Uh, it is it is just sort of saying the same thing twice. So like when it says you're born of water and spirit or using water and spirit, it uses that interchangeably. So, yes, I would say, yes, it's, it's a double positive, if you will. God yeah. is good, but it's a descriptor for us. Remember that the Bible uses what we call anthropomorphic terms, right? Human terms, human words to describe a God that is beyond our description. And so, you know, I've said this before, you read in, in Hebrew, you read in Hebrew text, you read that God, God uh, was angry. Um, literally in the text, it says God's nostrils are flaring. Well, God doesn't have human nostrils. God doesn't have physical nostrils. What you see there is a human term to describe a God in order to be able to understand God. And so when we talk about God as good, that's a great thing to say. But the, again, the problem with that is the assumption is, you know, what good is. And so we tend to just right. say, well, God is good. So that means whatever's good to me is godly. Right. Uh, a wonderful poet from back in the days, uh, Mr. Sean Carter, Jay-Z, said in one of his songs many, many years ago that if it's heaven to me, is it really considered heavenly? Uh, folks, that's a deep question. If it feels heavenly to me, my natural inclination is to assume that that's heavenly, that that's godly. And so, yes, God is good. But then we have to understand what you mean by when you say good. So it is a tautology. It's a new word I just heard today. I love it. Um, and, um, and I would, that's what I would say. I don't know if you brothers disagree with that. I think, I think it's still a good phrase. And the reason why is, is something you cued in earlier when we were talked about the beginning of this question it says, what do we mean by judgment? And what do we mean by God? To say God is good is, is definitely like a, um, a, a good spiritual milk. You know, it's a good thing to, to feed okay. and to realize and to, 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 uh, to say, you know what, we teach, I teach my son, God is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm going to help him as he grows. And he asked me, what is, why is God good? Well, that's, that's when we start to get deeper. That's when that's we me. start to say, well, he, he actually gets, he defines what good is. Whatever he mm-hmm. does is good. And as lo- most of the things you experience are good, um, are of God, except when you want to eat sweets all the time. That's not of God. That's not good. Like <laughs> you're going to get sick. So I think it's it's this opportunity. The problem is, is when we stay there, when we stay God is good, and we don't go to this bigger question of um, God, all things good come from God, and God defines mm-hmm. what good is, then we can get down really easy paths of, well, it's really, a. I just talked to a young man today who's struggling because he's, he's trying to follow God, and his parents are telling him, Look, you know, most of the most of the people coming in to 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 hear that are getting divorces in my life are because the sex isn't great. I'm just gonna be real right now. And mm-hmm. and so what you need to do, that's not good. It's not good that your sex is not great and that causes people. So as you, you need to make sure you get out there and find someone who's sexually compatible with you. Mm-hmm. And and so mm-hmm. for him, it was really great to hear him say, but that's not he goes, No, no, if there's intimacy and commitment and love, then that becomes good. So so it's a very different way of having the same conversation. Now he understands that because he's read the word of God and what God is calling him to do. And he's put his faith in it, even though he hasn't seen it yet, he's put his faith in what God says about marriage and intimacy and love. And so I think that's a, um, man, I don't know how we got there from judgment, but like, it just made me think like, 
we've really got to start helping people mature in their understanding of who God is. Yeah, I mean, I think the question would Jared, be... Jared, you better say, say something here. Yeah, you got to say Jared, something. But I think, I think the follow-up question <laughs> might be, is bad sex in a marriage God's judgment? <laughs> that might be another question. Um, go ahead, Pastor Jared. Touch, this I'm is the finale. I'm a little loose today. I'm going to come back. I'm, I'm pulling it back. <laughs> yes, Pastor Jared. Go ahead, TC. In, uh, I'm not going to talk about sex right now, but um, I think so. All right. A couple things. God refers to him, um, himself as Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, right? Um, even though that's somewhat anthropomorphic as well, as if there is a beginning and end to God. But for, for the sake of conversation, um, we, we've talked mostly about the beginning, the, the, the foundations of sin, and, and then the result of that, the judgment that ensues. I think it's an arc that we have to understand the narrative of Scripture um, as, as well. And at the end, the Omega, we, we see um, the eschaton, the eschatology that we have to discuss as well. And so that, that determines the character of God as well. And so we have to build our understanding of God in the middle of that entire arc. And so the reason I said at the beginning is I, I want to understand the motivation, the heart, the context behind the question, because naturally when I've heard questions like this, then is a follow-up statement or question that sounds somewhat in the form of, well, if God is good, if God is all loving, then why would he allow this thing to happen? And, and they're, they're wanting to go down a path to try to show that actually, no, God is just this some deity off in the distance that's wanting to cause destruction and harm and hurt and all of that. Um, so that's why I think it's important to have a robust eschatology as well as theodicy. Um, and, and understand where's this all going? Where's the end goal? Where's the hope? Um, and it's, we find it's, it's not actually an end at all. It's an end to suffering, um, but a beginning of eternity and new life and abundance and restoration and renewal um, where God makes his home among the people, among earth, and he restores all creation. Uh, again, we, where that verse in Romans 8, that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's also uh, the same chapter that shows that we consider our present sufferings are not uh, worthy, worthy to be compared. Right. Um, to the glory that will be revealed, be revealed in us. So like, I, um, I, I feel like, and I'm, I'm not trying to make a judgment call on this person's question, but I feel as though oftentimes based on my experience in these kinds of conversations, it's, it's building up a picture of God as this evil, ty tyrannical dictator um, so that we can easily look at that from a distance and be like, see, see, that's where it was all headed to begin with. I think it's equally important to build up this image of God in a healthy, um, responsible, theologically uh, understood idea and image of where this is all headed and the future uh, of all creation uh, to build a more robust understanding of of God, but also of our understanding of judgment. So, so that's that's where I um, that's where I feel like I want to understand where this person's coming from and why they're asking yeah. the question and what is Absolutely. their what is their hope um, for whatever the answer is. What's what's your hope? And then the the other thing too, I would I would add is um, you know a question that I've said would typically come up in the conversation is, well, what, and why does God allow X, Y, or Z? Why does God allow viruses, uh, natural disasters, those kinds of things? And 
And one time I heard a, a theologian that I respect say, well, why does humanity allow it? <laughs> well, mm. if you, if you deep mm. within your heart of hearts feel that this thing, whatever this thing is, is so evil, poverty, um, uh, the malnourishment mm. of millions of people around the world. What are you doing? You know, yeah. If God is, if God is to be on the stand as convicted guilty for him allowing said thing to happen and you're so concerned about it, why are you allowing it to happen too? Why are you allowing suffering to happen in the world? Um, what, what contribution can you add to this process? Um, uh, you know, I've talked to somebody in a, in a student ministries once they're just like, yeah, I, I hate that cancer exists. And if it's God's judgment or not, I don't know, but I just want to be a part of the solution. And so I just think we we're so bent towards, uh, toward finding out the problem and talking about the problem and talking about the disparity that we're, um, we get so busy with that, that we forget like, oh. Hey, God has an endowed, has endowed me as an image bearer of him to be part of the creative, redemptive, restorative process. And I have a part to play. I have a part to play in encouraging people towards the goodness of God. And, and, um, yeah. and his love and his mercy and his grace. So I'll, I'll stop there for now. No, I think you're good, brother. And, and, and I see your eschatology and I raise you a <laughs> pre-foundation of the earth conversation. Yeah. And I'll tell you what I mean by that, right? Yeah. You are so <laughs> right to say that, yes, yeah, sin oh. and what happened. <laughs> Sorry, you're using poker terminology. So I just thought I'd, you know, play, play with it. Absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think you're right in the sense of having this robust view of God, right? Yeah. But I would also say, yeah, not only the eschaton wraps it all up, right? Like I quoted uh, yep. uh, 1 Corinthians 15, right? Yep. He's redeeming all these things. But even before uh, Genesis 3, mm -hmm. right? Before Genesis 3, what was the intention of God in creating man? Yep. His intention was to bring you into community with him to enjoy the greatest goodness that ever existed, which is himself, yeah. to be in community with him. And so what we see in Genesis is not the quote unquote original plan. Yeah. It is the, the, the foil to the original plan. And what you see is God redeeming three, Genesis three, and going back to the Imago Day, right? Mm -hmm. so, so the mission of God, the Missio Day, the mission of the church is to redeem those people, to restore them back. So if you really start with God, you start with this good, perfect, holy, wonderful, just, yes, all of those things, God, who brought you and into existence to know the goodness of himself, right. you fall away from that. And then his, he's been, I don't want to say trying, but he has been doing through us, through himself, through things been pulling us back to that full circle of going back to the new earth and the new heavens that will come. And then we will now be back in fellowship. You're, I mean, I, I love that. I love yeah. that big time. Well, yeah. even so, let me, let me, let me throw this out there too. Yeah. yeah. So I, I thought you knew this, but you didn't. Um, I know the person who crafted the question personally, cause it's oh. me. <laughs> so I thought you knew that. So I let didn't. me give you the reason that I asked the question was, I was watching YouTube and a pastor got up and said, this is God's judgment on America. Okay. And so the reason I brought that question up is that there is an arrogance sometimes of Christian pastors, uh, of which we are in that elk, but we're not in that same mindset that seems to think the problem is the world out there and finds no problem with us here. 
forgetting that we share the same human DNA, the same depravity, the same sinfulness, but for the grace of God, right? And so his stance was, this is God's judgment. And if you don't return back, and of course, misquoted uh, Chronicles 7, 24, if my people who are called by my name, which is apply right now, uh, you know, go see one of the t- table talks. We talked about that already. Uh, <laughs> but I think that's the problem. So he was sort of putting this, um, he, he was honestly, in a sense, creating a, uh, a divide that need not exist sure. with a world that you're trying to care for and evangelize and minister to and show the goodness of God. You are telling them that you are better than them. Where quite frankly, if you read the Bible, it says judgment starts in the house of God. First Peter says that's very clear. So if any place should get judgment first, if you think about it, it's the church and you might be going through that right now, but that's all over the place. So that's the heart of that question is that there is this arrogance sometimes of Christian pastors to say everything that's wrong with this world is the world out there versus like you kind of, I think alluded to, which is, well, what's your part in that? Like Christians have stood still while racism and, and, and other things have gone back. What's your part in that? You know, we've stood by while people have been hurt and trafficked and all that. What's your part in that? Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, man. That's really good stuff talking through that. I love the idea of God's plan from the very beginning, the big God theology. Really, it drives us. And all this should drive us to this place where we're in awe of God, in awe that He would select us, that He would um, pursue us as individuals and love on us. I mean, that, that should bring, again, just if you have, uh, an understanding of the gospel, it, it really should kind of wreck you every single day. And, um, and it, it, it should also keep you in a place of humility, the arrogance of it. You know, I've actually seen that when people start to say, see, this is the judgment of God on the world. Um, it's almost the feeling I get from people is that they are using it as confirmation that they're on the right path. Like, see, the world's getting judged, but we're on the right path. You know, it's almost like, man, it can really come across sometimes as like, see, they're getting their just desserts. Ha ha ha. See, I'm right. And that's how it comes across. Rarely is it, oh crap. Like here's what I don't, so end time stuff. We talked about this, I think months ago, but like Mm -hmm. this idea of like, hey, it's the end times. Cool. Could be, but what should that do? That should not have you say like, ah, the world's about to get judged. Ah, ha ha. No, it means that people who God loves dearly, if this is the end of the world, those people need to hear the truth of who God is more urgently than ever before because this is coming to an end. And instead, it should be like, oh, it's judgment. That means church. We need to change. It's individual Christian, you need to change. You need to grow. We need to like get after this. It, it's just weird to me. I look at the fruit, right? What is the fruit of your thoughts on theology? If the fruit is that you put yourself as high and mighty, or that you regress from people, or that you separate yourself, you're, you're going against what God is calling us to do. But if the fruit is, it makes you more fervent and more loving and more passionate about seeing from the Christ. Um, I think that's that's the case. So we talked a lot back and forth about whether this is the judgment of God. I think the question we should ask ourselves, since we've already done that, and I'm kind of pivoting here, what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you make. And an I'm, I'm, that's point. not a rhetorical question. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I actually said, what are we going to do about it? Right. Yeah. I think you make an interesting point, Nathan. Too the um, 
to, to look inward. And I'm, I say that as a pastor as, of a church, you know, the, the churches are kind of on the stand to say, what, what's your role in this? Because you, you hold the keys uh, to this knowledge, mm. to this experience mm. of right. uh, understanding how to move forward. And so you're, you're more accountable, held more accountable uh, to a higher standard because of what you know and because of what you've experienced. And, and, you know, again, end time stuff, revelation, who are the letters written to? They're written to churches. Um, And, and uh, John essentially saying like, what are you going to do about it? Um, So I like that. I like that mentality. uh, Because I think, I think we want to put all the sinners on the stand. And I use that, I say that even tongue in cheek, because that's all of us, right? But like, we, we've got, and Chris Cooley put this in there, this us and them mentality. So those of us in the church, well, we've got this kind of thing figured out. And so we're able to keep people at a distance. Um, but the, the truth is, is there's, there's equal footing at the cross. Like we're all level at the cross. <laughs> we've all got to uh, reckon with the fact that that um, we have fallen short, but for some reason we in the church will sometimes put those who don't know Jesus um, at, at arm's length and say this is God's judgment against them, um, and this is what they need to do about this. And I think that that's where the conversation gets a little tricky. But I, I was uh, well. I should answer your question, Nathan. What are we going to do about it? Let me think about that. I'll let Daniel speak. Yeah. Um, something you said, I think is uh, important. I think it's, um, you said the eschatology, well, not the eschatological passages, every, every single passage of scripture in a sense, especially the new Testament is written for the Christian audience. Yeah. You could argue Luke was written, you know, for a secular audience, but for the most part. So if that's the case, Evangelism doesn't look like you quoting a couple of passages to people right. who don't know God. What it looks like is you knowing the truth of God, living out the truth of God, and based on that truth, loving them and drawing them to God. So that's interesting. So that might dove into what you're saying is that, you know, I, I forget the exact passage, but I think Paul says something about fearing the judgment of God, we pursue people, we go after people. And, and I think that's part of the passage that links into the fact that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So knowing that the judgment of God not is coming, I think you, you clear you, you, you alluded to that passage, Nathan, about the, the non-linealness of God. We think of time as lineal. God is outside of time. And so the, you know, even in some passage of scripture it says the judgment of God has already been released. It's already a bounds. Thessalonians talks about the spirit, the restrainer holding back the judgment. Anyway, all that to say, what do I do personally? What do we do as the church? We live in light of the truth that we already know. We practicalize that truth. And that truth might look like talking nothing about the gospel and living it in such a way that you are being practical and caring for them. James says, if somebody is hungry and you want to talk to them about faith, you should feed them first. Perhaps then they will be willing to hear you. So I think for me, practically, that looks like being focused uh, on people's needs and pointing them to a God who is the sufficiency of all needs, but also let them know that I am able to in, enter into your issue only because of the grace of God. I think it's practical. The only thing I'd push back, not necessarily a pushback, but more of a refinement, right? 
I think the needs, I think we are struggling with the needs physically. Those are things that we need to do as well. But I, I don't want to downplay how much people need uh, the spiritual needs and mental, emotional needs that they have right now, especially in COVID. And so that also is a communication, not just a, Absolutely. is a communication of truth as well as a living out in truth. Yeah. I think Gospel Fluency is a great book if you want to learn more about how to, you know, less of an evangelistic moment, but more of an evangelistic living that includes a fluency of speaking in the gospel, meaning yeah. as you are serving, as you are serving, as you are serving. I don't want to de-emphasize that. You are speaking in a way that maybe isn't like, Every single conversation is a Roman's road trying to get people to get saved. You know, what you were taught at Campus Crusade, the way to get someone saved. And it's a, I speak the gospel because the gospel owns me. And then that becomes so relevant to people. I'll say this real quickly. We had an individual who got, uh, basically came to the very first day we opened up a church that I planted before this and has been there ever since. And uh, we invited her into a small group. She accepted Christ, got baptized, got into a small group. I remember being about a year into it and she goes, Hey guys, you just need to know something. I have never been surrounded by people who talk and act like you do. This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen because her life was so not focused on, on God and the people around her that just being in the presence of people who spoke about the truth of who God was and loved each other. Well, was a minister and a balm to her soul, um, which allowed her to grow. So I'm not, I think, yeah, we've got, I emphasize, we got to do something and we got to learn to start speaking truth um, as well. Jerry, what do you got? Um, similar to what Daniel was saying too, in terms of um, caring for the needs of one another. Um, and that's not just a made up idea. It's, you know, we see this in the early church in Acts. Uh, Peter preaches, 3,000 people are added to the to the fellowship of believers, and they just start doing life together. They, they share with one another. Uh, they commit themselves to uh, the apostles' teaching, um, says they break bread together in homes, uh, glad and sincere hearts. They're praising God. They're enjoying the favor of all of the people. So you've got this picture of a church that's caring for each other, and somehow um, that that's going to get out. The news is going to get out that this group of people really radically loves each other well. And not only that, but there are people from all different um, ethnic backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds. I mean, all different kinds of people who are somehow loving one another um, brought together around the foundation of both the crucified and risen savior, Jesus and, and so that just, that gets out and people, and it says, and daily, the Lord added to their number, those who were being saved. So um, I think if the church does such a beautiful job caring for one another, that's just going to get out. Um, that's going to get noticed. And, um, and eventually people are going to, to see the way in which our community cares for one another and say, I want to be a part of that. Um, it seems like, it seems like they just really love each other well and, uh, really care for one another. Well, now, again, that's not to take away from, uh, the hard truths of the gospel, the, the reality of dying to yourself and picking up your cross and all of those things and recognizing the justice of God. Uh, but there is something unique about the practicality of how the church cares for one another. And people see that from the outside looking in and say, I want to be a part of that. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would just say this. I think those two things are not um, are not exclusive from each yeah. other. Um, yep, they exactly. are part of the same, the same, the same, um, 
scenario. Yep. Um, yeah. And like I said, you know, when I was preaching on justice, there's a passage that still rocks me is that Jesus condemns people for their lack of care for each other to yep. eternal punishment. So yep. he doesn't see those as two different things, but yeah. Um, yeah amen to that. Um, our sister Wanda, I want to say this because I know we're, we're running out of time, but our sister Wanda Faye asked initially, how do we elevate the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth? Um, I think that might need to just clarify what we mean by elevate. If by elevate, we're saying we want to put him in a place and make him, you know, essentially um, um, make him something um, versus are we saying uh, in the Greek magnify, which has to do with sort of lifting them up or, or, or Jesus says, if I be lifted up, then, you know, I would draw a man. So are we talking about sort of shining a light on who he is? Uh, what he is. So we're not necessarily elevating him, but we're showing that he's elevated as a, as a nuance, but it's a difference. <clears throat> if that's what you mean, um, I think we got to do that. I think we, we often talk about how sometimes in certain churches, not all, um, the Holy Spirit is this sort of uh, left out person. Um, and I, I would encourage you to listen to one of our table talks. I think we talked about that clearly. So I think the spirit is, is, is co-equal, co-eternal and co-God. And must be understood that way. Um, and um, I think that would be, but so yeah, we, we continue to do that by preaching the whole counsel of God. It's one of the reasons I love how we're walking through scripture now, because you can't help but run through passages that show you who God is and all of his, um, his manifold wisdom. So yes, the spirit is already elevated because that's its position. And our job is to magnify God, to bring attention to God and to show the world the goodness of God. I would say that would be it for me on that one. Any, any follow-ups on you guys for that? Let's see. Do we have any other, any other things that we can hit quickly since this is our finale? Anybody else? No, 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 no. I am good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Good. Okay. Good. All right. Well, listen, folks, it has been a great There's run. There's, is there more, one? Yeah. If God more? can intervene, why isn't more stopped now. I know it's not heaven yet, but God is all powerful. And then follow up. This is Renee. Kind of like children being abused so much when they're bleeding for 12 years in the uh, New Testament. You know, God can intervene. Why isn't he doing it more now is the question. I would say cross-reference maybe 20 minutes ago when we talked about the sovereignty of God and the God is just and the fact that we live in a naturally evil world, morally evil world, and a supernaturally evil world. All those things will inform that question. Um, but God is sovereign, and I do not, I do not hold the view that um, God is unable, unwilling, or, incapable, or incapable of doing anything to stop anything. Um, I just think that it always goes back to how do we define good? And our definition of good and God, if God's the definition of good, then he will, um, he will decide to do what he said. I remember one pastor said something like this, a gentleman lost his child and said, where the heck was God when I lost my child? And the pastor said it this way. It could have been hard, but he said the same place he was when we killed his son. Um, and so he was saying that to say <clears throat> that God has experienced pain and suffering and things through um, life and has seen those things and that God if God was to move um, because of every single thing that we have going wrong that we think is not wrong, we don't understand how those things, one, I, I think this is where I, I probably want to sort of mute myself because I don't want to get into this conversation of, well, if it's good here, then perhaps it's not good there. Because someone could have argued, well, why did God allow Hitler to live? Uh, meanwhile, his parents were like, well, God allowed my son to live. We don't know how these things shake out. 
my point to say that is to say that God is sovereign. He's omniscient. And I don't know. I honestly don't know why he didn't invade into that situation. But I do know that we live in a fallen world. That would be my quick answer to that. I would also say um, that's assuming that God hasn't intervened. Um, ah, and what and, and how, do we, how do we define what intervening looks like? Uh, we have a pretty clear mandate from Jesus as he is ascending to heaven. Um, he gives us a job, right? <laughs> he said, go and preach the gospel and go and baptize and teach and do all of these things. Like, like that, that is God working in and through us, the church. And no matter how bruised and beaten and bloodied we are as a church, um, it's still a call of the church to, to be part of this. And so God is intervening um, through, in and through the church. Now, we being finite beings and being imperfect, uh, it, we don't always do it right. And, and it looks really horrible at times. It actually looks like the opposite of what we see God doing sometimes. And so the church has to reckon with that. But I would say God has intervened in some cases. He has intervened in the, in the way that uh, churches and Christians have, you know, started hospitals and schools and um, have, have been part of, you know, feeding the hungry, uh, very practical things. So uh, again, it comes back to, well, let's not just put God on the stand. If we as followers of Jesus are part of this, then we have a call on our lives too to intervene. So, so it's not just God up in the sky um, who sometimes decides to, to stop in and do something and then go back to his seat in the sky. It's the church uh, working in partnership with the guidance and leadership of the Holy Spirit, looking to the scriptures to understand who Jesus is and was and what he did and partnering with that. That'd be my, my thought. Yeah. I have two thoughts. Again, just the timeliness of God. Um, God is going to, going to redeem everything. He is going to wipe out sin forever. Mm -hmm. And that is going to happen. Yeah. Now, when he chooses to do that, it's different. I'm, and there's still mystery there. Mystery of why Jesus stepped over people to heal one person and then left. That mm -hmm. wrecks me. Yeah. I, I spent time dwelling on that. But what helps me understand this in the midst of it, to not see God as this uncaring person is, is Lazarus. So Jesus shows, Jesus intentionally waits. And it looks like Jesus waits so that Lazarus, it, it's hard to read it other, any other than he waits till Lazarus dies. Yep. And then he shows up and, and then he weeps because of the hurt and pain, knowing he is about to bring him back to life. Yeah. So that is not a God who, even though he is timeless and understands what he's going to do. Now he was, you know, as a man at that point, but he knew what he was going to do. He intentionally knew what he was going to do in the midst of that. That means he let them go through that pain mm -hmm. and wept with them in that pain and then delivered them from that pain. <laughs> like I, <laughs> if you want to understand how God thinks a little bit, all you need to do is look at Jesus um, but you know, we're human, no one here, if they lost their child and they said, God said, Hey, look, you're going to lose your child. Um, I can give you your child back or because of this, millions of people can come to Christ. Most of us would say, no, yeah, you can give me my child back. Yeah. It's just, it's okay. We're human. Yeah. <laughs> we're human, but God is love and God is working through it. So if there's mystery to it, I mean, we're not going to explain away that, um, there's a mystery that maybe God will reveal to us someday. Or not.
Just a prerogative. Well, I just want to leave us. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I want to leave us with this. One of my favorite passages in the Psalm, Psalm 115, 1 through 3. It says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your love and kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nation say, where now is their God? And verse 3, this is the one I love. But our God is in the heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Well, folks, uh, that is it for now. <laughs> Until the Lord pleases to do something else. Um, but it has been a joy, brothers, having this time with you. Um, this has been a blessing to me for us to just be able to have these um, time to just commune together um, and for the church to get a glimpse of sort of our in, intra-Trinitarian conversation. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so love you, brothers. I don't know you guys um, have any sort of quick announcement or anything yeah. you want to say. Just for clarity, uh, we may do another Table Talk Thursday in the future that we will schedule, but not weekly anymore. Um, and the reason why we would do that is to have some of these kinds of important theological conversations around some papers that we're currently working on called position papers. And these are on hot button issues, such as politics will be one of the first ones that comes out uh, and uh, sexuality, women in ministry. We're, we have a whole list of them that we're going to work on together to help kind of set what the position of the church is on some of these issues. And then we'll have a table talk like this where we'll dialogue about it. So the hope is to be able to then use that as a resource so people who can listen in and, and hear more about what's going on. So the medium table talk Thursday is not going to happen anymore week to week. However, uh, we'll be using something like this uh, in the future for really important things that need to be discussed or if there's big issues coming forward. So just want to encourage you in that. Also remind you, we are going to have service at 930 and 1115 online and in person starting this weekend. And we encourage you to go to the now page if there's anything going on. Uh, that you want to know more information about lifechurchcanton.org slash now. And then of course, if you have questions, we are still available as individuals um, ongoing um, to have conversations and to help you understand more uh, of what's going on in the world. That's it. Bishop Jarrett? Nope, got nothing. Well, you have Jesus. All right, folks. Love you. <laughs> Love you guys. See you guys soon. God bless.